Amen. Please take your seats. Well, we've been having a wonderful vision week, getting ourselves ready for 2014, which we believe is really going to be a year of breakthrough and faith in our lives. And later on in this service, we're going to minister faith to whatever needs that you have. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe that God's going to bring healing and freedom and deliverance and a prophetic flow and all that's to come. But before we get there, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, if you have them, to Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Saul has just had his Damascus on the road to Damascus experience, and he's on his way to Damascus. He's now saved, and God is preparing the way for him. So, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who has appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. So when he'd received food, he was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his, this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot was known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. This is a great story. It shows how God can intervene whenever he wants. No one's too hard for the Lord, you know that. I mean, if anybody was too hard for the Lord, it was Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he was persecuting the church. He was the one that organized the stoning of Stephen. He had such hatred in his heart for the Christian church. 
And he was on his way to Damascus to increase the persecution. And then God just met with him. A light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And in one meeting with the Lord, his life was turned around. Amazing. And then we get to the story where he's come to Damascus. And of course, people are a little bit suspicious about this Paul. He's just been killing and, uh, and imprisoning Christians. In fact, they've, many of the people in Damascus had fled Jerusalem. And some of them had fled Jerusalem and ended up in Damascus because of Paul. And it took a vision of Jesus for Ananias to get enough confidence. In fact, Ananias sort of like argued with the Lord. Do you think this is a good idea, Lord? Don't you know who he is? And God said, and the Lord said, just go and do it. And so here he is. And I want to talk a little bit about this. And I want to talk especially about this deliverance of Paul and how he was delivered. And if you look at the picture depicting this behind me, you can see there's some men there. And it is the middle of the night, and they're holding ropes and letting Paul out to safety. Now, imagine when Paul arrived. Imagine this man has had a radical conversion, and he's preaching the gospel straight away. And the church in Damascus is trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, they don't know. I mean, they've heard from Ananias, but the elders of the church are a bit concerned they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe this is the classic trick. Maybe Saul or Paul, we'll call him Paul from now on, maybe Paul has, has done all this to get in amongst us. And he's preaching this Christ. And, and he's do, what he's doing is he's finding out all our names. We're having to hide him in different houses because so-called Pharisee police are, are, are saying they want to get him. And there must have been a lot of fear and a lot of distrust because he had been putting pe people in prison just day days earlier. He was out to get them. And so you can imagine it being quite a place of suspicion. But he seems to be preaching the gospel well as a new believer. And he's in the synagogues and he's fearless right from the beginning about the message of Christ. It says Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews uh, and so, not after many days passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. It was a small place, Damascus, relatively speaking, at that time. And a contract from the mafia, Claudio. It was a mafia in Damascus. And a contract was out on Saul's life. And they were looking for him. And they were guarding all the entrances all the places that you could get out. They had these assassins waiting there, watching. There was no place where he could go. And they were searching the houses. And you can imagine that Paul was hiding in one house and then hiding in another house. And anyway, who wanted to have Paul hiding in their house? Uh, if he was found in your house, they're not going to treat you very well either. This plot to kill him. And you can imagine that the elders of the church met in secret one night and said, what are we going to do about this? I mean, this man, he's, you know, he, he just keeps preaching the gospel. They're out to kill him. 
we need to get him out of this city or else he's going to die. And you can imagine the chief elders there saying, okay, how are we going to get him out? And someone said, oh, I know a place on the wall. It's quite high up on the wall, but there's a place that you can go. And if we got some volunteers and some ropes, then we could let him down and he wouldn't have to go out of any of the main entrances. Well, that's a great idea. So the elders called for volunteers. Would you volunteer for that? This man who had just persecuted your close friends? I mean, what, what, if it, what if this was just for a few weeks? What if in a few weeks' time, you risked your life to deliver Saul, Paul, and then he went back? And anyway, you know, who knows? If, he's not, if, he's, if he doesn't get killed in Damascus, he might get killed somewhere else. And you can imagine some of the men thinking, do you know what? I've got a family, a young family. You can't expect me to go out because if those assassins find us, it won't just be Paul they're killing, they'll be killing us too. And others thinking, I don't know about this Paul, I'm not, I'm not convinced. Well, they found some men, three or four men, however many it was, who said, all right, we'll volunteer to take Saul and to help him escape. And so one night, in the middle of the night, they didn't have street lamps, it was in the dark, these volunteers got this big basket and got these ropes and in the pitch black, in the middle of the night, began to weave their ways down the streets of Damascus to this place where there was meant to be a hole in the wall where they could let him down. And you can imagine the fear as they went down the streets, not wanting to make any noise, knowing that the assassins were around at that time. And then they get to the place in the wall and they have to climb up the wall to the place where it's safe, all in the dark, all for one man's deliverance. They finally get to the place, they place Paul in the basket at the edge of the break in the wall and it's a long way down and they and Paul's there in front of them they can just about see him in the dark he gets into the basket they take hold of the ropes and then slowly they begin to let the basket down within a few moments time in the pitch black they can't see anything all they can they can't see what's happening but they can feel on the end of the ropes the weight of the basket and the man. And they know that they have to keep quiet and they have to keep hold of that rope. Whatever happens, don't let go of that rope. If they hear a noise or a shout and they let go of that rope too soon, then the basket's going to crash and Paul's going to have a very nasty accident because they were big walls in Damascus, remember? These weren't little walls, little garden walls. These are walls to stop intruders getting in. So they're feeling the weight and slowly but surely, inch by inch, they're letting out the rope, feeling the weight, knowing that they have to do that until the basket hits, or not hits, but the basket lands on the ground. And then the moment they feel that slack, they know that Paul is safe and away. I think there's a lot of things here that can teach us here tonight. I want to mention some, some of the uh, things. The first thing is, these men were prepared 
to take a risk and to hold the rope for somebody else. If no one had been prepared to hold the rope for Paul, then he would have surely been died, surely died. And these volunteers that held the rope, they held the rope until he got delivered. As I've said, if they let go halfway through, Paul would have died with a broken neck. And as they held the, the weight of the rope and felt the weight, the tiredness and the weariness and the fear, yet they kept on holding that rope until the basket touched the ground. They didn't know at the time what was on the end of that rope. I mean, they knew it was the, the guy called Saul, but they didn't know how important he would be. They could have chose not to hold the rope, and as I've said, they could have chosen to run away from the rope. If they'd got tired, they could let go. Nobody would know. This was just a man who, until a few days ago, had been their greatest enemy. They had no idea that on the end of that rope was the man that the Holy Spirit would use to write nearly three quarters of the New Testament. They didn't know that on the end of that rope was a man that would preach the gospel to the Gentiles nearly all over the known world, that would plant churches in all sorts of places like Corinth and Galatia and Thessalonica. A man that would challenge supernatural forces. A man that would raised somebody from the dead who fell off a wall when, uh, and the house out of sleep. A man that would cast demons out of sorcerers. A man that would speak to governors and Caesar's household with the gospel. A man that would raise up powerful ministries to take on the world for the gospel. A man who would, would even go face to face with Peter and rebuke him for backsliding in the gospel when he, when he stopped eating food with the Gentile believers. They had no idea. I think if they knew what was on the end of the rope, they'd probably be so nervous that they probably wouldn't be able to hang on. If they knew that on the end of the rope that they were holding that night was three quarters of the New Testament yet to be written, I think it might have been too much for them. But they held the rope and they kept on holding the rope until the basket touched the ground and Paul was delivered. This is a lesson for us because God is calling all of us to hold the rope for somebody. There's somebody that you know, there's somebody around you that God is calling on you to hold the rope for. What is this rope? It's faith, it's prayer, it's intercession, it's love, it's service, it's a rope which they're on, that if you don't hold and keep holding their basket of salvation and deliverance and freedom from impending death may never touch the ground. Makes me think of the testimony that Colin's been sharing recently of how for 10 years he was holding the rope for somebody. You hear that testimony and the guy's come to the Lord and Colin is now personally consolidating him I know he's meeting him even tomorrow. He was telling me he's going to meet him tomorrow. And Ten years he held the rope for this man. Ten years he took all the nonsense from the guy. Ten years he just loved the guy. Sewed into, sewed it into the guy where he couldn't, till he got the place where he could. Ten years he held the rope. But if he'd not held the rope, 
If you'd not held the... If, if five years you thought, you know what? I'm a major ministry. I'm Colin Dye with loads of books. I can't be holding the rope for one person. I, I, should, I should be in front of thousands of people. I can't, I can't be spending time with one person. What if he doesn't even get saved? I, I can't be messing around. I'm a big man of God. What if he... No, but he knew that God had placed a rope in his hand for this man's deliverance and he held on to it until the basket of salvation touched the ground. Who held the rope for you? Who held the rope for you until your basket of deliverance and salvation touched the ground? Do you remember when you weren't saved? Do you remember when you weren't walking with the Lord? Who held the rope for you in prayer? Was it your mother or father? Was it a friend? I remember, I'm still friends with him today. I remember when I went to university, Durham University. I got there, I wasn't saved. I, I had a, an inkling about God, but I hadn't come through. And in my tutor group, the first person I met, uh, a fellow student in theology called Mark Payne. He's canon Mark Payne now. He's a canon in the Anglican church. Right from the beginning, he held the rope for me. He prayed for me. He witnessed to me. There was times when I was like Paul, kicking against the goads. And yet he never gave up. He held the rope to me, for me, in prayer, witness, service. And eventually, because of him holding that rope that God gave him, my basket touched the ground. And uh, when I'm in touch with him today, you know, there he is, a canon in the Anglican church. And I said to him, if it wasn't for you, I mean, God can save however he wants, but he chose to save through you. And he not only held the rope for me, he discipled me in those early days. What a grat! I'm so pleased he held the rope for me. So pleased he didn't let go. So pleased he waited patiently until my basket touched the ground. He didn't know that the person that was at the end of his rope, he didn't know what I would be. He didn't think, he didn't know I would be preaching here. He didn't know I'd be part of this great ministry. He didn't know that. God gave him a rope. He didn't know what was on the end of it, but he held it till the basket touched the ground. You right now where you're thinking, who, who held your rope? Who held your rope? Who held your rope? Not even just for when you got saved, but times in your life when you thought maybe it was all over, you were discouraged, or somebody held on to you. Somebody didn't let you go. We speak about consolidation and that it's not just about getting someone to give their lives to Jesus, lift their hand up and say goodbye and never see them again. But in the church, we understand that it's important that when someone gets saved, there has to be follow through. You don't let go. You hold on to them until they are established in the faith. And so these men had no idea. Somebody held the rope for Billy Graham, didn't they? Someone held the rope for Reinhard Bonnke. They didn't know what these men would be. I had no idea what was on the end of that rope. God has got ropes that he's already put in your hands. He wants you to recognize the rope because at the end of that rope is a person. And hey, nobody else is going to hold that rope. If God has given you that rope, nobody else is going to do it. You can't say, oh, somebody else will. There's people at your workplace, people at your study place. Who's holding the rope for them? Just like Paul was in danger of assassination, these people that are around us, neighbors, friends, colleagues, 
They're in danger of damnation. I mean, the devil is out to destroy them. We don't know how long they've got on this earth. You never know whether today is your last day. We can be so familiar with people, so used to them day after day, week after week, loved ones, friends, colleagues. We just assume they're going to be there next week. And then all of a sudden, some catastrophe takes place and they're gone. Who's holding their rope? They're like, that would be like Paul in the city and everybody's saying, oh, forget it, no. No, he can make it out on his own. He got here on his own. No, I'm not holding that rope. I'm too busy. I'm not holding that rope. Somebody else do it. I'm not holding that rope. I'm too busy trying to help myself. I'm, I'm not taking responsibility for Paul. If that had happened, he'd have died. God will put the rope. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, where are the ropes? Some of us have put the ropes down, pick them up again. Some of us, it's difficult sometimes with people. You can get tired and discouraged and often they don't want you to hold the rope for them, it seems. But you have to go back to the Holy Spirit tonight and say, Lord, have I put down any ropes for people that you want me to pick up again? Have I given up too soon before their basket had touched the ground? Because you never know when that basket's going to touch the ground. You don't know. When God's going to do that. I wonder if anybody had been praying, praying for Saul. Jesus said, pray for your persecutors. I wonder, it wouldn't surprise me that Stephen, as he was awaiting to be stoned, I think he would be praying for his persecutors. He asked the Lord not to forgive them. He said, forgive them. He was holding the rope for his persecutors. The church, probably Paul, was... If, if they were spiritual, which they were in those days, Paul must have been the most biggest prayer target for the whole of the Christian church because Jesus made it clear, pray for those that persecute you. And no one was persecuting them like Paul. He was outstanding. So I can imagine that they're saying, hey, are you praying for Paul? Of course I'm praying for Paul. Are you praying for? I'm praying for Paul. Jesus said, pray for your persecutors and he's the leader. So we're going to really pray for him. And they were holding the rope for somebody where it seemed he, he would never change. But they prayed for him. You never know. You never know the moment that it's going to take place. You never know. Don't let go of that rope for people. Don't let go. Don't let go of the rope for that cell member. The one that turns up once every three months and dominates the whole cell and then you never see them again until they come up another three months. Don't let go of the rope for them. Maybe for some of us in the cell ministry, there's a few names, a few faces we haven't seen for a while. And we've sort of said, well, if they don't want it, maybe God is just saying to you this week, give them another ring. Give them a text. Just pick up the rope one more time. You never know what's going to happen. But as well as looking at these ropes as, as being like having somebody on the end of the rope, some, a responsibility to bring someone to the Lord, or perhaps somebody's in your cell group or your friendship and they're going through a difficult time, it's easy for us to say, I'll pray for you. Oh, I'm praying for you. Are you? Are you? Whenever I say to somebody, I'll pray for you, I always go, oh, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I better do it. I usually have to do it straight away because it's so easy to say, I'll pray for you. 
and then you don't because it's, it's a nice thing. It's like, how are you today? You know, I hope you have a nice day. Have a nice day. I'll pray for you. And then we walk away and, and we don't. We, we say, I'll hold a rope for you. There may be people going through things that you know in the Christian church, going through difficult times, and you may have pity for them. They don't need your pity. Pity, pity never helped anybody. Compassion helps. And prayers more than anything else. And in our busy lives, we can see that people are going through difficult times and, and we sort of like, oh, I feel sorry for you, I pray for you, but we don't. Yet it could be your prayer that brings them through. Prayer works. Prayer changes. We need to hold ropes for one another in our times of need and not let go of the rope of prayer till that basket of blessing finally touches the ground and the person gets the victory. But I want to change the analogy a little bit. We've been speaking about people, saving people, praying for people, and holding ropes for others until their basket of freedom touches the ground. But this is also a picture of prayer in our lives because God has got ropes that are promises for our lives. Every promise of God is a rope. A bit like the rope behind. Every promise of God is a rope with a basket with the blessing in. And just like in this analogy, we have to hold on the rope of God's promises for our lives and keep believing and praying, never giving up, not doubting, but hold on to the rope that the God promised us until the basket hits the ground. Because when the basket hits the ground, what's that? That's the manifestation. Have you ever seen anything in your life where God spoke to you, gave you a promise and you believed God and you held on to that promise like you were holding on to a rope and the opposite seemed to happen and you thought, am I ever going to get this thing? Is this thing ever going to have a breakthrough? Will, will, this, will this promise from God ever take place? And at times you were weary holding on to the rope of God's promise and at times you felt the weight of this promise and, and it's darkness because when it's faith, you can't see. And at night, they were holding on to the rope, but they couldn't see the basket. They could feel the weight, but they couldn't see the basket, and they couldn't see when it was going to hit the ground. And sometimes that's like us. As we walk with the Lord, he'll give us a promise. He'll give us a word to stand on. It's a rope. We hold on to that rope, but we can't see when the breakthrough's going to take place. We can't see when the blessing's going to flow, when the healing's going to manifest, when, when, when we're actually going to experience, because these things are faith and they're in the invisible world, but we hold on to that promise. We believe God's word. And how many have ever had the experience where that basket finally hits the ground? The breakthrough comes. The manifestation takes place. The promise is fulfilled in your life. I believe that there's many baskets about to hit the ground in your life of blessing. It's an easy thing to say, but we've heard that there is a word over our ministry, breakthrough. And what is a breakthrough? A breakthrough is when God comes from the invisible world of faith and manifests in our experience and our circumstances on the earth. 
It's when God's heaven finally manifests on earth. And that means that there's some ropes of victory and deliverance and provision that are in our hands. I want to encourage you. If God has spoken a word to you, if you're trusting the Lord for a promise in your life, see it as a rope. And I want to encourage you if you're thinking, Lord, when will this take place? You know, the greatest thing, well, one of the greatest things God's people needs is patience. Patience. That's one of the greatest things, at least one of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience also means endurance. We need patience. It was about a week or so ago. And um, I think it was after an evening meeting. I can't remember. Anyway, I got home and it was late at night. And everybody had gone to bed, but I couldn't sleep. So I was just flicking on the TV and I ended up on, I don't know, magic, magic TV. Not magic, but magic FM, you know, the music. And uh, something like that or... Well, anyway, it was one of the video channels, music video channels. And I just flicked to it, and the song was Take That. It was a Take That song called Patience. Have a little patience. And so I was sitting there thinking, you know, that's, that's really good, that, actually. Having patience, that's, that's good. And, so I, and then after that, I went to bed with this song, just singing it in my mind, you know, patience, have a little patience. And I thought, yeah, yeah, patience. And then I woke up in the morning. And I got in my car, and I started traveling to our offices, and I was early. So what I do sometimes when I'm early on the way to the offices in Hangar Lane, instead of going straight to the offices, I go under Hangar Lane to um, uh, that, oh, what's it called? Park Royal, yeah. Uh, is it Park Royal? Is that what it's called? Yeah, you know, with all the stuff there. And I go there, and I go, and, and I go into cost, uh, cost Coffee, Costa, and I get myself a nice big coffee and take that in as a treat. So that's what I do, okay? So there you go. If I'm early, if I'm early. And so I walked in, and I'm just standing there waiting for my coffee, and then suddenly the song that I went to bed listening to was on the radio. It was Take That, Patience. So I went to bed listening to this song, and then the first song in the morning I hear when I'm getting my coffee is patience. And I've been around long enough to know that's God. <laughs> and God said, have patience. And I thought, all right. And then I started to get a bit worried. Why are you asking me to have patience? What's going to happen? Because everything's okay. Well, it was okay till you said patience. But, you know, it was God speaking. Patience. Patience. What is patience? Patience is Holding on to a rope of God's promise and not giving up. Don't give up. Never give up. That's what Churchill said. When Churchill uh, went back to Harrow, uh, having done all the things that he did, Harrow was his school, and he gave, uh, and they got all the school I was out there to hear their great, one of the most famous boys, come back, the great prime minister, and he was going to, uh, gone through the war, and he was going to address the whole student body. And uh, they introduced him, and as he came to rapturous applause, the boys sat down, and they were waiting for this great, great long speech, and, and Churchill looked at them, paused, and he said, never, never give up, and then went back and finished. <laughs> that, was his, that, was his, that was his speech, never 
never give up. I bet Paul was glad they didn't give up on him when they were holding the rope. I bet you were glad that somebody never gave up on you when they held the rope for you when you were in the basket. But also listen to me. Don't give up on what God has said to you. Don't give up on your ministry. Don't give up on your prayers. Don't give up. Don't give up because your basket might be inches away from touching the ground. And wouldn't it be awful? Wouldn't it be awful if you let go and walked away before God had finished and manifested? Sometimes that's what happens in our lives. We shortcut God. We, uh, I mean, I won't go into all the details and everything. I'll just give you an example. And then we're going to go into ministry. Abraham let go of the rope for Isaac. He let go of the rope. Why? He lacked patience. He was holding this rope with his wife for Isaac. God had given him a promise to hold on to. You shall have your own child. Sarah, Sarah shall give birth to a child and he will be Isaac. And he got hold of the rope and he held 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 the rope. And he looked at his watch and he held the rope and he looked at his calendar and he held the rope. And after a while, he got tired of holding the rope and so did his wife. And they said, let go of the rope. We can do this our way. They shortcut God's purposes. And what did they end up with? Ishmael. But thank God, God's a God of a grace. And, and God came back and said, Abraham, pick up the real rope. The proper rope. Pick up the rope I gave you in the first place. The rope named. There's a boy on the end of that rope. Abraham. He's not born yet. There's a boy. His name's Isaac. He's on the end of that rope. He's in the spiritual realm, if, if I can use that as a, as a thing. He's, he's, not, he's, in, he's there. He's coming. Hold on to the rope. And finally... Abraham got the message after many mistakes and held on to that rope. And the rejoicing was great when that basket hit the ground and Isaac manifest. This is God's prophetic word to us tonight, I believe. Let's stand together. Let's 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 the Holy Spirit minister to us right now, right where you are. Just open your spirit wide. And why don't you, just in these few moments, why don't you identify the ropes that God has given? Let's, just, let's pick up some of these ropes right now. Let's pick up some of these ropes. First of all, I know already you may... People. People. God's called us to serve and love others. That means he's got ropes. And on the end of those ropes are baskets. And in those baskets are people and they need you to hold on to their rope till their basket hits the ground. Right now, may the Holy Spirit quicken to you. People, where you've put the ropes down, don't worry about it, don't get guilty. This is why the message came tonight. Pick up the rope. Pick up the rope for those people that you've put down, wherever they may be. Also, perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now about new ropes to hold. New people. New people, people at work, people in your neighborhood, people you pass every day, people that are acquaintances, people you know, you talk to, shop, shopkeepers, 
waiters that you're familiar with. It could be anything like that. People you smile at, people you, you see at the bus stop every day. I don't know. God knows. And God may be saying, I've got a rope for you, a new rope. Nobody else is holding this rope. I'm going to give it to you. And on the end of it is a person. And you don't know who that person may end up being. Could he be the modern day Paul? Could he be the next Reinhard Bonnke? You never know who that person will be on the end of your rope. People that are Christians that are suffering right now, friends of yours, people that you know are going through a difficult time, why don't you hold a rope for them? Why don't you text them later tonight? Say, I'm praying for you, and you are. Why don't you get in touch with them this week, old friends, people you haven't been in touch with for a while, but you know that they're not right with God, or they're suffering, or there's a difficulty. Family members, I don't know. Only the Holy Spirit can show you people that need you to pick up the rope again. God's, God's showing people right now. You think, well, you know, I haven't, I, I haven't contacted that person for a long while. I know they're not in a great place. Good intentions, good intentions never got a basket to the ground. But a phone call, a text, an email, a meeting, a coffee. I believe, I do believe, I really do believe that for some of us there are people right now who are waiting for us to contact to give him a blessing just whatever the Holy Spirit there are people out there that God is saying and they're waiting they're waiting and much fruit will come out of this if you obey the leading of the Holy Spirit over these things take these things out with you later tonight and ponder them and say Lord who do I need to ring who do I need to call who do I need to text who do, who do I need to inbox who do I need to connect with who 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 is on the end of a rope? Show me, Father. Show me, Father. But also, the baskets of blessing that God has got for you. I awaken the promises again. Those ropes, let them come back into view. The promises of God. The promises of God. Some of them you've put down. Some of them you've forgotten, but God is awakening them today. The word of God, the promises of God. Ropes with your blessing in the basket. You have to hold on to those ropes for the basket to touch the ground. You, can't, you won't get anything without faith. You won't get anything. It's not just going to happen. You can't just say, well, I hope it happens. Well, it's not just, hope doesn't get it. You only have hope when you hold the rope of faith and promises. Don't, it's, just not, it's not just going to happen, my friend. It's not just going to happen. You have to hold the rope. Because it's not just about the blessing. It's about what you learn whilst holding the rope. In fact, more important than the blessing is the process of holding the rope until the blessing hits the ground. God is more concerned about forming your character of faith then he's about blessing you he can bless you with everything right now in the click of his fingers it's the process God has shown me that the process of holding the rope 
is far more valuable than even when the basket on the end of the rope hits the ground. It matures us, it grows us. James chapter 1 is talking all about this. So I want you to pick up the ropes in the spirit right now. All these types of ropes for different people and also the promises of God for you. How do, you say, how do I hold the rope of a promise? You keep it before you. You pray it, you read it, you believe it, you take it back to the Lord. You stand on it, you put your weight on it. You trust it, you hold on to it. That's what you do until that basket, however long it takes, it will touch the ground if you hold on to the ropes that God has given you. Hallelujah. Let's just let the Spirit rest upon us right now. There's a lovely anointing upon this. God is showing things to people. Do business with God right now. Do business with God. Talk to Him. Talk to the Lord. This is a place to do business with God.
many people here you you believe in God for a a job or a new job or a changing career or you believe in God for a place to train you know like a university or a uh, whatever you believe in God for some sort of career opportunity or training opportunity how many are here I want I want you to leave your seats and come down and we're going to pray for you and hold the rope with you so it could be any of those things it could be you know I'm believing God for a place in this training place or university or college or I'm believing God for a job I've got the training I need a job or I'm believing God for a new job or God's told me you know the area that I want to be in all these types of things come down we're going to pray for you share whatever you're comfortable with with the people here we're going to hold the rope with you pray that you're basking in the right time of opportunity will come that's what we're going to do the rest of us we're going to begin to worship the Lord and then when these people there's quite a few of them have been prayed for you're welcome to come out to have prayer for any of your needs but I just really feel the Lord is speaking into people's areas of career jobs training opportunities those are the baskets I feel so strongly tonight that need to hit the ground and we're going to believe God with you we're going to set in motion through our prayers holding the rope tonight that these things will come to pass in the name of Jesus let's press in shall we let's press into the Lord